Thank you so much, brother. What great preparation for the preaching of the Word of God. And I needed that. It was just very good. Sometimes you don't realize how much you need something until you get it. (laughs) Jeremiah 16, verses 1 through 13 are where we're going to be this morning. The word of the Lord came to me. You You shall not take a wife, nor... Shall you have sons or daughters in this place? For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning the mothers who bore them and the fathers who fathered them in this land. They shall die of deadly diseases. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground. They shall perish by the sword and by famine, and their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. Thus says the Lord, do not enter the house of mourning or go to lament or grieve for them, for I have taken away my peace from this people, my steadfast love and mercy, declares the Lord. Both great and small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried, and no one shall lament for them or cut himself or make himself bald for them. No one shall break bread for the mourner to comfort him for the dead. Nor shall anyone give him a cup of consolation to drink for his father or his mother. You shall not go into the house of feasting to sit with them, to eat and drink. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will silence in this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And when you tell this people all these words, and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, and have served and worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. And because you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. This is the word of God. You can be seated. And as you picked up from the tone, quite a message from the Lord this morning to the people of Israel in Jeremiah's day. So, pray with me, please, that we may receive this word rightly. Father, we need your help this morning. I pray that you would please help us to understand your word correctly and apply it rightly. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to also be warned by it. I pray that you would also, in ways that I will present within it, to also be comforted by it, because it is possible also to receive comfort even in the midst of this text, Lord, because of other things you say to us in the scriptures. So please, Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us soft hearts, ready to hear the word and live the word, love the word, and love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for coming this morning to hear the word of God. You are welcome here. You're in the right place, and I'm glad for it. I've titled the message this morning, Prohibitions and Proclamations, because you saw this section is kind of 
two-themed. It's got a double theme to it because in the first part, he tells him, do not marry, don't mourn, and don't feast. Those are the prohibitions, and we're going to talk about why he says that, and he touched on it some even. And then he said, and, and then the, this is what I want you to say to the people. So that's where the proclamations come in. So we've got prohibitions and proclamations. From these two topics, we're going to see how they fit together. We're also going to see how they fit into our life by looking at how they fit into their lives over a thousand years ago. Actually, over 2,000 years ago. So please listen attentively because I believe the Lord has a word for each one of us. It's not an accident that you're here. So verses 1 through 9. Jeremiah is prohibited, first of all, from marrying. You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons and daughters in this place. It wasn't so much that he was against marriage, as that he was against marriage for his servant in this place at this time. When God withholds something from us, it's not always because he's trying to keep something out of your life, but trying to keep something in your life. Let me say that again. When God withholds something from us, it's not always because he's trying to keep something out of your life, but trying to keep something in your life. God's prohibitions are protections. He knows the future. He knows the right path for your life. And so God was protecting Jeremiah. How was he protecting him? Well, first of all, let's think about how he would have benefited from having these things. Because surely he would have, listen to this, Jeremiah would have benefited by having a wife to come home to who would have been able to comfort him during his long, tedious, difficult ministry. Because it was all three of those things. It would have been nice to have a wife to come home to, to know that she supported you, she would be there to encourage you, since very few people did for Jeremiah. Almost everyone was actually against him would have been nice to have this wife for those reasons. Having a wife, however, and likely children as well, would have brought more pain precisely because of the message that Jeremiah had to bring. Terrible judgment was coming, and he said, I don't want you to have a wife, I don't want you to have children, because such disaster is coming upon this place. They will suffer. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, When you consider all the trials he endured and the enemies he made, Jeremiah was probably better off a single man, but his refusing marriage was a symbolic act, for the sons and daughters in Jewish families would either die by the sword or starve to death in the coming Babylonian invasion. Whenever anyone asked Jeremiah, Why hasn't he married? He had the opportunity to share God's message of the coming judgment. Anytime somebody said, why haven't you married? Because in my studies, I learned that by the age of 20, if a Jewish man hadn't married, the rabbis would often condemn him. They would say, you are going against God's will. It's God's will for you to marry and have children, godly children. And so marriage was strongly encouraged and so he would have stood out. He would have been an anomaly. He would have been hissed at and scorned. 
but it gave him an opportunity to say, let me tell you why I'm not marrying and go into his message. So God's prohibition of marriage for Jeremiah was actually a provision. All of God's prohibitions are actually provisions. Let me say that again. All of God's prohibitions for us, the ones we find in the Word of God, they're actually provisions that provide blessings for us. We don't like to be told what to do. We are rebels in our spirits, so we sometimes interpret God's laws when he says, don't do this, avoid this, stay away from this. We sometimes interpret that as, I don't like that. And God's saying, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to provide for you, not hurt you. All of God's prohibitions are actually provisions. But why was Jeremiah prohibited from attending funerals and feasts? Well, one reason was because God said he had taken away his peace from the people. Did you see that part? He says, don't go to these uh, laments, don't grieve for them, because in verse 5, for I have taken away my peace from this people. You know that godly ministers provide help and peace to families during times of grief. That's one thing that we do. When there's a funeral, whether there's someone about to pass away, pastor, will you come over? Will you pray for us? Give us a word. Ministers are supposed to do that. We're supposed to be there for you in your time of grief to provide this voice of truth during those times to remind you of who God is even when you're in the midst of your dark time. Because sometimes we forget when we're in those dark times. But no such peace would be allotted to this stubborn, evil people who refuse to listen to God. Secondly, since death, the death toll would be so high... He gives the pictures of just bodies laying out in the field. (laughs) This is going to be serious judgment that comes upon these people, and it's their fault. It's not like God's up in heaven just angry and looking for some place to take out his, his anger on. It says, they'll do. No, these are people that brought this upon themselves after God had been patient with them and warned them time after time after time. Their stubborn, evil, rebellious hearts brought this upon themselves And so the death toll would be so high, there would be very few people to even perform proper burials. And so few people would be there to have weddings and wedding feasts either. The death toll will be considerable if these people don't repent and turn. And God said, don't go to their Mornings don't go to their times of feasting either. Don't go to the services where they can console themselves. You may have seen here that it talked about um, they shall not be buried. No one shall lament for them or cut himself or make himself bald for them. This was not anything prescribed by the Lord ever. Cutting themselves for the dead, making themselves bald for the dead. These are customs of the people around them that they would have adopted so Don't think if you just read that and you thought, oh, was that what they were supposed to do? No, no, God never, never prescribed that for his people. It's never self-mutilation for the dead. It was, was never something God would ever prescribe. But it was ingrained in their culture so much, just like so many other pagan 
rituals and sins and worldly tendencies were already programmed in the DNA of his people so deep that now they make it into the commands. We'll tell them not to, you know, don't go to their feasts where they do this. It's just such a part of who they were at that point. God prohibited Jeremiah from these practices that normally would have been considered nice gestures, maybe even opportunities for ministry, and he was taking that away. No, don't. Also, keeping him from more pain. Sometimes God prohibits you in life also, maybe not through a word here, but maybe you have been prohibited in other ways. Maybe you are single and you don't want to be. Maybe he's prohibited other things from happening. It's his will and it's his provision for you in those times and in those ways. He was caring for Jeremiah here. He didn't want more pain. We think sometimes we, we know best and boy, if I had this, I'd be happy. Might not have it on purpose and it's God's will. Next, and here's the spot where we're going to spend more time, is on the proclamations. Because this is what's going to happen. All this desolation. And the people are going to ask questions about that once he pronounces this upon him. Look at verses 10 through 11. And when you tell this people all these words, and they say to you three questions. Why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What's the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? So the people are going to ask three questions, but they really fall into two categories, since question two and question three are basically the same question, if you picked up on that. I thought it perplexing that they would even ask that. I mean, they... They first ask, why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? (laughs) Matthew Henry, his take on this is very good. He said, instead of humbling and condemning themselves, they stand upon their own justification and insinuate that God did them wrong in pronouncing this evil against them. It is amazing to see how seldom sinners are brought to justify God and judge themselves when they're in trouble and to own the iniquity of the sin that has procured them the trouble. So true. So true. Far too seldom does that happen that people, when trouble comes in their life because of their own actions, far too seldom do they say, God is just. This is right. I deserve this. This is my fault. No. Far too often do they shake their fist at God and say, I hate you Why would you do this to me? And it's their fault. It's their fault. They have brought the trouble into their lives themselves. Jeremiah is told, as crazy as this sounds, that the people are going to say, why would the Lord say all this bad stuff's going to happen to us? Why would God say that? Why would he say all this bad stuff is going to fall upon us? Us and their second set of questions are really one. Why, what wrong did we do? You and I can see so clearly that justice for their crimes against God and humanity should fall upon them. They weren't just sinning against the Lord by this time. They were also treating the poor very badly. Um, and you know the Lord has many commands about treating the poor 
correctly. They should see clearly what their crimes against God and humanity have been. So why don't they? Why don't they see it? In an interview with Joel Osteen, the interviewer asked him this. Do you ever feel like you need to talk about sin more? Osteen, you know, I just feel like I do it in a different way. I get that criticism sometimes, and when I talk about it, I, I talk about how we can become better, how we can overcome. I just, I probably categorize it bigger, but I don't feel like I'm supposed to beat people down. Most people know what they're doing wrong, he said. Most people know what they're doing wrong. Apparently, Joel, they don't. These people said, what gives? Why, why would God bring any evil upon us? What evil thing have we done? While they've been worshiping idols for decades, and so have their fathers, people really don't believe they are that bad. They don't believe they are that wicked. They actually believe they're pretty good. Do you think I'm mistaken? Watch this video clip I've got for you, this first one. Let's, let's watch this for a second. What do people think about themselves? Let's see. Do you consider yourself to be a good person, Michael? Of course. Uh, would you consider yourself to be a good person, first of all? I, I, I believe so. Okay. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? I'm a good person, yes. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? Oh, most definitely. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? I would consider myself to be a good person. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? Yeah, I definitely would. Destiny, would you consider yourself to be a good person? Yeah. The opinion of people is true according to what Proverbs 20, verse 6 says. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Men will proclaim everyone their own goodness. This is so normal. This is what you're going to find if you talk to people. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? Absolutely. I was studying for this last night, and Amy looked at me, and she said, would you consider yourself to be a good person? And I said, heck no. <laughs> in and of myself, in and of myself, no, I, I'm not. The only good you see in me is Jesus, because none of you knew pre-salvation Cohen. And thank God for that. He was quite the fool. I don't miss him. Though sometimes he still tries to show his ugly head. People really don't believe they are that bad. That's what we have happening here in this text. Why would God say these things about us? We're good people. They believe they're pretty good. The people there in the south, remember, these are the people of, in Judah, people of Judah. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom is down here, the, the people of Judah and Benjamin. The, no, the northern kingdom had already been carried away by the Assyrians. The Assyrians had already come and invaded them because they were more wicked, so their punishment came first. The southern kingdom knew about this. They knew why God said he was coming to invade them. They took Zero warning from that. They learned nothing from it. Nothing. Just like we tend to do. We see calamity fall and we might say, boy, that's bad. And then we learn nothing. We might even have discipline. 
come into our lives. We say, oh well, I'm glad that's over. We learn nothing from it. I can remember as a young, foolish teenager <laughs> dodging the bullet many times, even at the hands of the police, and then going away from it saying, whew, glad they didn't find X, Y, and Z, and then go right back into it. Taking zero warning in my foolishness. And that's what these people are showing about themselves. They should have learned from what happened to their northern brothers and sisters who were carried away for their sins, their relentless idol worship and crimes against the poor. They should have picked up on that and they should have been pricked in their conscience and known and felt shame and remorse for their sins, but they didn't. Let's learn from that, learn from that. God put any warning in your life recently? He's doing it because he cares for you. Sometimes we pick up on that and we say, thank you, Father. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Help me, please help me. Help me change. Judah was not like that. They didn't take note and they were clueless. How can that be? Why were they so perplexed that God would pronounce judgment on them? We're perplexed that they're, per, that they're perplexed, right? We are. Because when I saw that question that God said, they're going to ask you this, I thought, how could they ask that? Seriously, how could they? Do they have a conscience at all? Well, yes, God's given every man a conscience, but guess what? Your conscience can be seared as with a hot iron. Children, what does that mean? When you sear something with really, something really hot, like on your skin, it actually kills the nerves. And for a while... You don't feel anything there. If you've been burned very badly um, after it's healed, sometimes there's nerve damage. You can't feel anything. And that's what that reference in Scripture is referring to where it talks about their, their consciences were seared as with a hot iron. They were numb to their sin. That can happen to us as well, can't it? You get used to a sin. You get desensitized to that sin. Verse 11, they're going to ask these questions. What's Jeremiah supposed to say? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, and have served and worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. I want you to notice what God's doing here. Something very simple. He never goes away from the standard. God never goes away from just the standard, the foundation standard that he's laid out for all of us in Scripture. God is simply pointing them to the Ten Commandments. Did you notice that? He's just pointing them to the second commandment. Exodus chapter 4, no, 20, verse 4. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven or above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Notice the words there. Don't make an idol. Don't bow down to them and serve them. What was he supposed to point out to the people? How was he supposed to answer them? Because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord. They've gone after other gods and served and worship them. The same idea that was found in the second of the Ten Commandments, don't serve them or worship them, 
I mean, or, or bow down to them. What's bowing down but worship? It's a reference to the second commandment. They have broken the second commandment. And in case that's not clear enough, the second part of our verse 11 says, and have forsaken me and not kept my law. He's pointing them back to his law, the righteous moral standard that all men are held to, you and I alike. So no, Joel Osteen, most people don't know they're doing wrong without the light of God's righteous law shining upon them to expose what's actually true about their life. Look at this following clip, this, this follow-up clip, rather, with those same people that we saw earlier, now being exposed to the Ten Commandments. How do they hold up? Do they still seem, in their minds, like they're good people? Look at this. Have you ever hated someone? Yep. Okay, the Bible says you've committed murder in your heart if you hate yeah, someone. I know that. You do know that? And Jesus said, if you look with lust, you commit adultery in the heart. Yeah. So have you ever looked with lust? Yep. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah. What does that make you? A liar. Have you ever stolen something? Yeah. What does that make you? <laughs> a thief. Uh -huh. um, have you ever told a lie before? Oh, yes. Okay. So if you've told a lie, what does that make you? A sinner. But more specifically, what does it make you? I broke one of God's commandments. Right. Well, if I murder someone, I'm called a murderer, right? Yeah. And if I lie... Right, right, that's right, that's right. All right, uh, have you ever stolen anything before, even something small? Yeah, when I was younger, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you've stolen something, what does that make you? It makes you a thief. That's right. You got the idea. Oh, yeah. All right, uh, now Jesus said, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Not no more. But have, I have. <laughs> okay. I have. You've done the have you ever told a lie? Of course. Okay, what does that make you? A liar. Okay. Have you ever stolen anything, even if it was something small, ballpoint, pen, paper clip? Of course. Okay, what does that make you? A thief. Okay, Jesus said, said that if you've ever looked at a woman to lust after her, that you've committed adultery in your heart. Have you ever done that? I don't particularly agree with that, but uh, of course I have. Okay, so you've looked with lust. Okay, so that, according to God's standards, makes you an adulterer. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Of course I have. Now, Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. Mm -hmm. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? No. Are you a homosexual? No, I mean, yeah, I looked at, you know what I'm saying, women, but, yeah, I looked at women, yeah. Okay, so you were lying to me. Yeah, I was. <laughs> Have you ever told a lie? Yes. What does that make you? That makes me a person who has told a lie. Now, why did I tell a lie? And are we classifying the lie with, there's so-called white lies and bigger lies. If it's a lie told not to hurt someone else or to protect someone else from being hurt, yes. Let's put it this way. If I tell a lie, what would you call me? You would have to be a liar. That's it. So what are you? I'm a liar. Have you ever stolen something? Yes, I have stolen something. What does that make you? Uh, Thief. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Now, have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes, I have. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah, everyone's told a lie. So what does that make you? I guess it makes me a bad person. Now, what are you called if you tell a lie? A liar. Have you ever stolen something? Yeah. What does that make you? A thief. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yeah. 
That's called blasphemy when you use God's name as a cuss word. And here's the fourth one. Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you commit adultery with her in your heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? I'm sure I have. I can't, yeah, probably. Okay. Have you ever told a lie? Sure. What does that make you? A liar. Have you ever stolen something? Yes. What does that make you? A thief. Yeah. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes. It's called blasphemy. And Jesus. So he goes on with these people, and he, if, if you haven't seen this, it's really good. The way the master.com, you've, you've maybe have heard of it, the, the resources are really great. Um, but isn't it interesting? Oh, yes, I'm a good person. Can I just ask you some questions about that then? Fail, 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 fail. And they, he was just exposing them to the Ten Commandments. That's all that he was doing. By their own admission, there were liars, thieves, adulterers in heart, blasphemers. By their own admission. And so, they were guilty before God. When exposed to the law, they realized, oh, you know what? I'm actually not a good person, am I? In the Pilgrim's Progress, I love how it's when Christian begins to read the book, it says, that's when he gets his burden on his back, the burden of sin that he felt on his back that he then had to get free of by going to the cross, which got him on his journey, on the way. That burden came upon him when he read the Bible, when he read the law, he realized, oh gosh, I am sinful. And it's appointed to man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And he says, I'm not willing to do the first, and I'm not ready to do the second. Reading God's righteous laws and knowing we're condemned by our sins against God, the God of those laws, that's what's necessary for the gospel to have any true meaning to it at all. We assume, like Joel Osteen, that people already have a godly understanding of their sin condition, but no, they don't. No, they don't. They might say to you, well, sure, I'm a sinner. But I promise you, as one who's talked to a lot of people just out on the street, witnessing to them, that phrase, them being willing to admit, sure, I'm, I'm a sinner, it does not carry the weight in their heart that it should. Exposing them to God's laws lovingly, because we care for people. We care for people. We want them to be saved. We're not trying to say, see, you're a sinner. Have fun with that. No, no, no. We're, we're trying to show them you are going to face a righteous God on the day of judgment and you're not ready. I want to tell you how you can be saved from your sins. But the light of God's law must expose our darkness and show it for what it is and show us who we really are. Saying to people, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life is not the way to begin a witnessing conversation. Does God love the world in general, yes. But I don't know if he has a wonderful plan for their life. I don't know that. He might not. The plan for the people in Jeremiah's day didn't sound so wonderful, did it? But that, was that because God was like, nope, just don't feel like being that giving to you today. No. It was because he gave and gave and gave and gave, and they threw it back in his face with their sin again and again and again. 
Paul said in Romans 7, 7, yet if, I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Paul said that. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. See, the law does its job and shows us for who we really are, dirty, filthy sinners who need forgiveness. That's the point of the law. We come to it and we say, God, I've already broken those. Exactly. Exactly. That's God's standard. We don't meet it. We don't meet it. But someone did. Did you know that? Someone did meet God's righteous standards, and it was the Son of God. Jesus Christ came into this world, born of the Virgin Mary, never sinned at all, was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. See, where Adam, the first man, failed when he was tempted, the God-man, Jesus, succeeded. And what did Jesus do for us? Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Jesus Christ bore that punishment. That should have been ours. Should have been theirs. Anyone who would have come at the preaching of Jeremiah and said, I need God to forgive me. You're right. This is wicked. I want to turn from this. I'm condemned. What shall I do to be saved? He would have said, follow God's word. Believe it. By faith. Walk after him. And God would have applied that faith forward to Jesus. Though they didn't know it then, God did. And that's the good news, that we can really become saved. And that good news that we become children of God, we have to understand that. We have to be given that after right understanding of the law. Because we're pronounced guilty under the law. But in the gospel, Jesus pays our fine. I don't even like to think about it. But you know what happened that day on the cross, that wonderful, beautiful, righteous, kind, generous, gracious, compassionate, perfect God, man, Jesus Christ, all the, idolat- all the idolatrous, the wickedness, stubbornness, foolishness of everyone who would ever believe was placed on him that day. And he took the punishment that should have been ours. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin record placed on his account. His righteousness applied to our account. That's the great exchange that happens at the cross. And I'll be the first to tell you, though I am so thankful for it. Actually, it moves me to tears even. One of the songs we were singing earlier started making me tear up because of this great truth. But I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not nearly thankful enough for it. But oh, I am so thankful for this truth. In 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds We're healed. Amen. Amen 
for that. But the people in Jeremiah's day, it didn't end with that good news for them. Look how our text ends, Jeremiah 16, 13. Therefore I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. You want these idols? You lust after them so much, you gather them, you collect them like ornaments. Well, then you're going to have them. Day and night, you'll have them. It reminds me of when the people of Israel were walking through the wilderness, and they started complaining about the manna and complaining about everything. And they said, we want quail. And God said, oh, you want quail? No problem. Here comes some quail. And God fed them with quail. And it said, until it came out their noses. Oh, you're unhappy with what I've given you. You think you want this? Okay, go for it. And they vomited it up. They lust after these idols, and God says, okay, you're going to go to a land where you will serve idols, other gods, day and night. Listen, church. (laughs) We make it confusing. It's really very simple. The Lord's prohibitions in the scriptures, the Lord, the God, the things that God says, stay away from this. This is bad. This is evil. That's for our good. When we fail to listen and we're stubborn and evil like these people, God will give us all that we're lusting after and then some and it'll be to your ruin. Or we follow the one who's taken the punishment that we deserve and we're saved and blessed and made a child of God forever and ever, to live eternally with him. It really is that black and white. And I ask you, do you believe this? That's what Jesus said to Martha when he said, your brother will rise again on the last day. And she said, yes, I know that he'll rise again on the last day, but he said, but I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he said, looking her right in the face, Do you believe this? That's something we all have to answer, isn't it? Do you believe this? I pray that you will. If not, now's the time. Father, I pray and ask that you would please help us, Lord, to be warned, Lord, when you warn us, and to see your prohibitions as blessings, and also, Lord, to see warnings from your people that you give us as calls, calls to repentance, calls to come and be forgiven by a God who's already provided everything that we need. Please help us to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Help us to think with sober judgment, Lord, as your word says, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us rightly divide the word of truth, seeing the law, letting it do its job in our life, exposing us for our wickedness, but then also seeing the gospel and the great message it has for us and coming to faith to receive that forgiveness. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.